Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And we're back with another episode of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast AAC Edition. My name is Dan Morrison. That is Emily Van Buskirk. How are you doing today, Emily? I'm back. So that's good. You are. Yeah, you're down and out for the count for a week there. I have to, yeah. I have to put the podcast on my shoulders. <laughs> I'm sure it was great. And I'm sure well, uh, you did I, fine. Yeah, I mean, it really was for me. It was like, have you ever turned on like sports radio at 1 a.m. on a Saturday? And there's just like some random So guy. somebody talking? Yeah. Yeah, and he keeps, he'll go, if we have any callers, call in. And then no one calls in. He <laughs> for four hours from like midnight to 4 a.m. That's what it felt like. I've never noticed how hard it was because I started my own podcast sideline SAS a couple of years ago and I did it with a partner and it was two of us. And so that kind of made it easier when we didn't have a guest, even though we always had guests, but I did not understand how hard it was until I started doing that by myself. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my God, there's, cause you just don't want to have like dead air to fill. And um, so I always felt really I had to get guests for my podcast because otherwise it's just me talking about nonsense. Yeah, so and like, I feel confident that I know what I'm talking about. Right. But at the same time, there's nobody to like bounce it off of you. Yeah. yeah, Exactly. Like if I'm just like missing something obvious, there's no one to be like, Hey, you're missing something obvious. Yeah. (laughs) It just, that's how it works out sometimes. Uh, Good week in the AAC. Yeah. It was started on Friday night and less than well, basically through primetime slots on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Want to get going talking about it? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, Tulsa 27, Temple 16. Uh, best way for me to describe Temple's off, or sorry, Tulsa's offense in this game was Davis Burn was terrible and Prince was phenomenal. Mm. I didn't understand why they didn't, as a team, recognize that sooner. Mm. Because the first half of this game, they were very insistent on throwing the football, which is what they've done all season. Mm-hmm. Byrne kept taking sacks. He had no feel for the pass rush. He was throwing interceptions. And then Prince was averaging like 14 and a half yards at like <laughs> that time. Like, meanwhile, and, over here. <laughs> meanwhile, Temple was legitimately scared to tackle him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, Am I missing something obvious or? I think they just uh, really want, I mean, they love Davis Brin. Um, God bless them. And <laughs> I don't, I also love Davis Brin, but. It's he's not, he had a bad game. I don't think he's a bad quarterback necessarily, but he did have a very bad game. Yeah. Worse, worse than usual. Yes. But to your point about Prince, as bad as, you know, his game was Prince was incredible so much so that he was even on our ballot this week for the Doak Walker weekly award, which I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I am a Doak Walker voter, which I'm very excited about this year. Um, it's the closest I can get to fullbacks. And sometimes we even have a fullback on the 
uh, ballot, which is nice. But this week we had generic Prince, um, in case you missed his game, 231 yards, 20 carries. Um, he had Tulsa's first 200 yard game since 2017, which included obviously the 84 yard run, which was incredible. Fourth longest run in school history. It was his fourth hundred yard game, his first of the season, and he added his first touchdown reception, which is fun for him. So yeah, and something I didn't understand with Temple's defensive approach mm-hmm. was they were basically in a nickel defense the whole game, four two basically. Is one mm-hmm. that's not uncommon nowadays, just because it's just you know there's so many spread offense, especially against a team like Tulsa that is a spread offense. Right, go out there to try to match up. But you have to notice at some point that they are taking advantage of how spread out you are and running up the middle of the power back. And you have to adjust to it and didn't feel like Temple adjusted, at least not quickly enough to that. Yeah. Uh, And that was frustrating to me just watching because it felt like an obvious thing. And I know that when you adjust in, that means they're going to start throwing outside to Keelan Stokes and all that. And I get that. Yeah. Who also incredible like player that, but it was Daenerys Prince's turn this yeah. game and I'm kind of upset that this performance only earned him honor roll honors in the AAC this week. Oh, in the AAC, I was gonna say for the, in the no, the Doak Walker, he 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 did not win the weekly award, unfortunately, though I did vote for him, and I'm pretty sure I gave him my first place place vote. It was Clemson's Will um Shipley. running back Will Shipley who who uh, you know he won. Um, but I did do my Part to promote, you know, group of five and, and which running back in the AAC was ahead of him. Well, it's not that it was a it was a quarterback who received offensive player of the week honors, and we will get to that. But you know, come on, man, let's throw the kid had an incredible game. Like I feel like okay, I, yes, the player who Friday night game gets overlooked. I know, and I understand that the bigger name won out, but I just feel like you got to give the kid credit. So um, very impressive performance by him. Not thrilled with Temple, but not overly upset either. Like, I, I feel like they're still Your defense is doing legit. the thing. For one, I gave, for giving up the gripes, like, yeah, you gave up 70 to UCF. Should have done that. Should have yeah. at some point. Yeah, that, that was... Uh, for my gripes about them not adjusting and putting someone in the box, it's still a tim- a Temple defense that's performing above its weight class. Those mm-hmm. ones, you know, again, UCF game aside. So I think that's something that you can look very positively on if you're a Temple. Yeah, um, I think so. Opposite side of the ball, I need broadcast to stop mentioning that EJ Warner is Kurt Warner's son. <laughs> I think I either saw every you tweet drive. about that or somebody else tweeted about it. And every single drive they have. I to, mean, no, you know, he's a smart kid. He knows the game well. His dad's Kurt Warner, <laughs> Hall of Fame quarterback. And the very next drive, oh man, that throw kind of looked like Kurt Warner, his dad. <laughs> Imagine. There's him getting recruited while he was with his dad, Kurt Warner. Did you know his dad's Kurt Warner? So you're annoyed about it. Imagine how this poor kid feels. It's like the curse of having, like you look at um, Barry Sanders Jr. You know, you yep. look at Christian McCaffrey, you look at all these guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that's probably such an annoying uh, thing to just have to. Manning. Yeah. Oh, and that's going to be, that's going to be epic. Like, because it's like, who can we reference this time? And it's just going to be a carousel. But I, I have to imagine that's frustrating for him as well, you know, because he's just trying to, I had talked to Barry Sanders Jr. about it one time, and that's why he chose to go to Stanford over Oklahoma State because he wanted not only to get the education and go to a great school, but to to identify himself differently, you know, than his dad. 
And that's, I mean, not to bring it back to the Manning super quick, but that's why Peyton went to Tennessee, not Ole Miss. Right, right. Whereas, you know, I chose to go do the legacy thing, which, you know, more power to I him, still but, think yeah. Archie's going to go to Ole Miss. Gonna I don't think yeah. he's going to Ole Miss. I, I, I don't think there's any way he goes to Texas. I think there is some way he goes to Texas because I think they believe in Sark as a quarterback developer. Oh I think he's more likely to go to Georgia than to Ole Miss, though. Well, maybe. Well, I guess what I should say is I don't think he'll be playing for Texas. I think I think it's a big coup. But I don't know. Anyways, anyway, that's a whole I, other topic. Yeah. Um, one last uh, kind of thing for Temple: you need to find a playmaker on offense because mm. EJ Warner does have a lot of potential, and he flashes that potential but it feels like Temple drops every other pass. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't, and I don't really know what you do for that because like, Other that's than, I mean, like you just keep doing drills for catching ball. I don't really know. Buy a new jug machine. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure every receiver. I don't know. Goes. Start paying guys money in NAL money. If they catch passes, like there's gotta be some company out there. You Temple know, has, a, uh, has an NIL collective, so figure it out. I'm like, hey, start rewarding these guys. <laughs> what they're motivated by is money and well, clout. So maybe, I don't know. I think you just need to get, I'm not trying to be rude to the guys, but you need to turn over the roster in certain positions. And just and see what else is in there. And those skills positions on offense is when you need to turn over. Maybe bring in some transfers who are either trying to move up from FCS and prove themselves at FBS or move down from a power five spot looking for playing time and try to figure out find more guys there. Uh, well, and we don't know what, you know, what Temple head coach is like Sandra. And I like blinked on his name for a minute. Um, what he's like as, as a recruiter in that regard, we just don't know yet. Yeah. So maybe, maybe we'll see that. We'll see that route next year. Yeah, in the year after. Definitely. Definitely. Gotta give it time. Uh, mm-hmm. Weird kind of weird atmosphere at the game where no one was there, but across the street <laughs> in an LCS game. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> like literally, well, you could can't blame them for that one. So. At, at points in the game, you could hear the Phillies crowd cheering. That's hilarious. It's literally across the. So sad. They need a stadium. I really hope that's a priority for Drayton and the new administration. I think Drayton knows that it's a thing they need. Yeah. I think as a school, they don't care. I think there's too much apathy. At this no, but I'm hoping he pushes it. So we'll see. We'll see. Can we uh, please move, move on to yeah. this? Saturday slate. Yeah, Cincinnati 29, SMU 27. Okay, that's where we're going to go. All right. That's fine. We're going to wait. That's fine. Yeah, Uh, I know. I know. It's. I'll just wait for it patiently to come. A lot of Uh, this game was. This game was tough. I was. uh, (laughs) I was watching this and I was like, "Oh yeah, this is right. This is right." And then what? I checked the score and I was like, how did Cincinnati let SMU come back? It was a mixture of things. Um, Jesus. Part of it was, so Cincinnati scored 10 points in the second quarter of the game. And that was the only points that either team scored when they were going into the wind during this game. The wind going, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's east, west or whatever. One direction was like 30, 40 miles an hour. And you could tell that they couldn't throw into, I mean, and since I touched on, it was like a long run that they broke off. It was, it was yeah. not easy to go. It was basically playing like half court football because you just couldn't go one way. 
like Cincinnati had like an 80 plus yard punt because they caught the wind right on it. And like, yeah, actually speaking of that punt, Mason Fletcher, the sophomore punter who was the one who executed that and was special teams player of the week for the AAC. He said two school record, uh, said two records, a school and an AAC record in this win. He averaged 65 yards on three punts, breaking the conference's previous single game best by 10 and a half yards and then hitting the 84 yard punt that you talked about, which beat the previous record by five yards. And it was the longest punt by an FBS player this season. You know how like sometimes they'll take world records in the hundred meter dash and be like, actually that's not a world record because the wind was at his back. Yeah. I did not know. No. Or it's how people. Well, this one's going to stand. I I know it's, you don't actually take out for wind, but it is what it is. It was the wind affected the game legit. Um, why did you know what didn't affect the game? The the crowd because there wasn't a crowd. <laughs> no, um, here's the reasons why there's nobody there. In essence, there's a, in my mind two reasons SMU came back in this game. Since then, I couldn't finish drives. They got mm-hmm. a lot of field goals, not a lot of touchdowns. That's an, we'll talk about this in our preview for the week, but that's an issue they've had all year. Once mm-hmm. since gets the red zone, they bogged down. They have trouble scoring touchdowns in the red zone. And SMU when they had drives, which were few and far between, especially in the first three quarters. But when they did, they finished with touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is since they had 14 penalties for 128 yards and a lot of the personal fouls and like dumb, stupid, like yeah. and stuff like that. And just like that will cost you a game all day long. And it, mm-hmm. basically SMU ran out of time is what happened. They were coming <laughs> back at all the moments. Um, but like, it was just stupid penalty after stupid penalty for Cincinnati. You can tell in places where they're very young compared to last year because they're doing things that are undisciplined and not very Luke Fickle Cincinnati, like at least the way we see right. them the past few seasons. Uh, Which we warned people that this was not going to be that record, team. Their record's still really good. Yeah. really not as good. Because the way not- they're getting these wins, I mean, 17 mm-hmm. points from your kicker. Now, granted, Brian Coe is a guy that we talked about yep. in the preview. Yeah, they're saying he's a guy that's a difference maker. And we said that in the beginning of the year that him transferring in was huge, was going to be great. Now, they've had kicker issues. They have, but for him scoring, I mean, for the kicker to be scoring 17 points on a team on a team like Cincinnati, that's just not a good look. And it's not what we're used to. So it's just not good enough is what it is. If you if your goal is to win the conference and to go to the New Year six, which it should be Mm -hmm. if you're Cincinnati, doesn't have to be. That's not good enough to do. No, it just is crazy. Um, Mordecai, I thought for a while, should get benched in this game. He was terrible. <laughs> and then he got concussion and got knocked out of the game anyways. And he benched himself. No, it's yeah. not. I don't know his stats for next week. He's in protocol right now. Okay. Um, he's all right. Hopefully. I Preston Stone was, I think, good, not great. But he did give them a bit of a spark and replacement from Stone looks like a freshman out there. He looks like a mm-hmm. high upset freshman. You know what I mean? He mm-hmm. looks liable to throw a ball like underhand behind his back, not looking. He also looks liable to throw a ball that I don't know that Mordecai can necessarily throw. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can see the talent there. Uh, and my thing that I've been getting annoyed, annoyed with Mordecai is if he stares down his target. You I, know, I told you that. I told you that when I went to TCU and saw it in person, it's so obvious. More. And I've been seeing it more and more since yeah, you told me that. It's insane. And you know when it's a yeah. screen every time that he stares at the receiver the whole time. You know when it's a screen. It's like, it's like the worst thing to watch in person. It's so very. If the defense has the skill that, say, Cincinnati's defense does, you're going to get a 
interceptions. And he yeah. threw a bad one that set up nine for points in the first quarter. That if he didn't throw, the game's completely different. And we'll talk about turnovers later and how much they can cost a team when we talk about UCF. Um, you know what I mean? But like, yeah, <laughs> it's how it is. Um, man, I still think SMU's record's not very good right now. I think they're better than that record, but they are a flawed team overall. I think. I, I do not. Bad. I don't. I do not. And I will not. And I just. I also think Cincinnati's not as good as their record, though. I also I agree with that as well. But anytime you have a kicker that sets a school record with five field goals from 30, 25, 52, 44, and 31, that's wind assisted. I mean, I'll take it, but he did he had the chance to to tie the AAC record for field goals with the sixth attempt in the fourth quarter, but obviously that 45 yarder was blocked. It was into the wind, but it was blocked. And so he didn't quite Make yeah, it. if you look at the kick, he knew that he had to hit it on a line because of the wind, yeah. because of the distance. So he just hit it too low is what happened. That's how it got blocked. But we um, do have to shout out, you know, Luke Fickle picking up his 54th win um, yeah. with Cincinnati, breaking a tie with Rick Minter. Um, so, oh, we yeah. We didn't shout out uh, Keelan Stokes at the Tulsa game for all-time leading yeah, Tulsa. Well, no, we didn't. We I just him as a player, right. but yeah, shout out yes. to him. Shout out Kalon Stokes. Um, okay. Also, Cincinnati tied the AAC record with its 19th straight victory over league opponents. And they held SMU to 2 of 15 on third down, which yeah. I don't think that's Cincinnati. I'm pretty sure that's SMU. So I'm not going to give them I think, it's a, I think it's a mix of things. A little column A, a little column B. Yeah, I think it's more of column A. But anyways, you want to move on? Uh, yep. Unless you got something else. Nope, that's all I got. All right, uh, Houston 38, Navy 20. I'm telling you, Emily, sometimes athletes just out-athlete Navy. And that's what I yeah. think. A lot, like, Navy doesn't have the horses on defense to keep up with <laughs> a very athletic Houston team in this game, was mm-hmm. what was, to me, immediately obvious from the start of the game. Uh, I think that's 95% of the story, to be honest with you, is one team just had superior talent and showed it off and didn't, Houston didn't make a lot of the mistakes they this is a credit to Houston. The past couple weeks, they've cleaned up a lot of the mistakes they're making in September and early October. Yeah, cleaned up a lot of those mistakes the past couple weeks. Uh, so we do need to give them the credit. So they didn't shoot themselves in the foot, and they just had a more talented team naturally out there. Uh, Navy's passing was rough in this game, and it's never great. <laughs> but did yeah, that interception that Lava tied through. I did not know. Oh man. Is it bad? <laughs> there wasn't a Navy player on the screen. He mm. hit a safety for Houston in the numbers, though. And there's just, it was pretty brutal. <laughs> I think it's tough, especially in this game, when you have the juxtaposition of someone like Clayton Toon, who did earn Offensive Player of the Week honors in the AAC for his five touchdown passes thrown. When you have somebody like that, and then you, the juxtaposition starkly against Lavatai in the Navy, it's just, it's going to look way worse than it is. I'm not saying it's good, but he has been improving and playing some better games, but it's going to look bad in this game against Houston because it's a terrible mismatch for them. Um, and yeah, Tune is, Tune, Tune look, looks better than he's been looking. So whatever yeah. Houston is doing, they figured it out, you know? It just took too long to figure out. Uh, yeah, they've squandered a lot of chances. Yeah. Yes. Which is frustrating about Houston this season. They could still end up being eight and four, nine and three. Yeah, but that wasn't what you were supposed to be. You were supposed. I wonder to- what they did over the bye. 
A lot of teams figure stuff out over the box. I, I wonder what, what Holgerson's method was there because I'm scared to ask. I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It no, was just Houston being no Houston. The Houston yeah. that we thought Houston was going to be for the most part. And I, and I don't even know if I like get mad at Navy over this outcome because mm-hmm. again, like the, sometimes when you are just at such a talent disadvantage, it's almost impossible to win because of that you have to overcome so much and you have to play a perfect game and you have to have the opponent make mistakes and Navy turned the ball over where Houston mm-hmm. did the game. Uh, that was the biggest thing for me was the turnovers for Navy because Navy really needed to be perfect offensively here. They needed to score pretty much every drive and they needed to shorten the game, take chunks off the clock and they just weren't able to do that. Yeah. Hmm. No. Pretty, much, pretty much, I think, other than Clayton Toon, um, I wonder, did he – oh, yeah, he became the sixth FBS player this season to throw five or more touchdown passes without interception. And that without an interception – now, granted, it's against Navy, but still, in the past, he throws that INT, which offsets, you know, all the, the good that he yeah. does. And you're like, ah, he just needs that That's that like, one little thing to stop. So Before the season, I said that Toon should be the offensive player of the year in the conference. And that's, that's why the game here was, yeah, he, I thought out last season when he got injured with the hamstring injury and he had to throw in the pocket more, I thought he grew and developed a ton as a passer and being able to get off his first read instead of, you know, going from first read to scramble, he Mm -hmm. could get through a defense better. And he wasn't making those same vital mistakes that he had been a year ago. And, you know, then the start of the season just, it didn't work out like that. No, it did not. You know, and it wasn't just two, and I don't want to pile on him necessarily because it was the whole team that struggled. Yep. And we'll see what happens as they play a couple tougher conference opponents. No, not this week because I think they got USF, but that's not the point. <laughs> um, uh, moving on, Memphis 28, Tulane 38. Uh, this game was looked over at halftime. It was 35 <laughs> nothing at the half. Uh, Tulane, I think, called off the dogs and came out a little too passive in the second half mentally. And Memphis scored 21 straight to start the second half before Tulane got that field goal. And, uh, yeah, I think they just let up where Memphis, to their credit, didn't quit and kept playing hard in this game. And the game was really easy to quit and looked like they quit in the first half. Well, Willie Fritz is not a foot-on-the-throat kind of guy. I love Willie Fritz. I think he's... He had a chance to be a foot-on-the-throat kind of guy. I just don't think it's in him. I don't think that dog is in him. And that's fine, because he's a great coach. And the thing is, he's just never in that position. He's never... Right. But I'd say, I I don't... Even if he was, that's I don't believe that's who he is. Whereas Ryan Silverfield was literally, like, handed the ball and said, play for your life. Mm -hmm. And, you know... In that situation, you got to dial up some well, stuff. Ryan Silverfield was coaching for his life in this game. That's what I'm saying is like he, he had He's he had a reason to bring it back. You know what I mean? Like for real, because that, I was envisioning a tarmac firing if they did not score any points. If they got beat, say like Tulane came out and just scored. Four, just shelled them, just shut them out. Just Yeah, say they scored one touchdown each quarter and the defense completely locked them down. And it was 49 nothing for a final. Yeah, How I think he's not? fired. How do you not? Yeah, That's embarrassing. He humiliating. It was as it stood, 35 nothing is embarrassing even to a ranked Tulane team. <laughs> but a, 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 gent- a gently ranked Tulane team. I a will Tulane I, team I, that I, AP voters were not happy to feel obligated 
that that feels better. That feels like a better uh, appropriate. But it was homecoming, and there was a huge crowd there, which is nice to that see. Tulane has very good fans. They do, and it's sometimes tough for Tulane to stand out in New Orleans ahead of the Saints and LSU. Yeah, and just, they don't get as much love. And that yeah, they absolutely deserve it. Um, like I said, a couple special teams disasters from Memphis really set the tone for the game early. Mm. Um, I want to talk about the final sequence from Memphis in this game because I okay. think it was embarrassing. I think it was embarrassing coaching. Okay. Ryan Let's hear it. Um, so it is the score, foul score is 38 28. That was the score when this was happening, and Memphis was driving downfield. They were inside the 20 yard line and it was third down and they didn't convert. Uh, I think it ended up being like fourth and five or something like that. And from like the 15 yard line at this point, about a minute left and they had no timeouts. Instead of rushing the field goal unit on the field to kick a chip shot field goal to get the three, then to try the outside and then go for the touchdown. Mm -hmm. But 30 seconds strain off the clock while they figured Mm -hmm. out the perfect fourth down play. And then they barely got it. Probably maybe didn't get it if they stopped to review it. It was close. Mm-hmm. Get up, let another five seconds turn off the clock, and you choose your next play is a jump ball into the end zone that gets intercepted. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds about the right I need for this game. Even if you convert and connect on that, you cost yourself like 45 seconds by just not having the wherewithal to move quickly. Mm-hmm. And not have the you know the next the fourth down play called already after third down by not rushing your field goal unit on the way everyone in the world knew you should have mm-hmm. to just get the three real quick and give yourself you know 45 50 seconds to get the seven and you know worst case scenario you take a hell mary it was egregious clock management by silverfield it just was it wasn't aggressive enough it wasn't anything enough it was Mm. he forgot what was the situation was it's like he forgot how much he needed to score right away you know it's like he thought it was the third quarter or the end of the first half right like he didn't realize where he was that's crazy that's that bothered me a lot to be honest i'm still impressed despite all of this with seth hennigan despite the just the horrid first half that we saw he still ends up with 312 yards and three touchdowns only sacked twice, I guess. So that's improvement um, to some degree, I suppose. He's not the most sacked quarterback in in the AAC, so he's got that going for him. Um, but it was just it's it's not right. There's, there's something not right in Memphis. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't want to sit here and be like Ryan Silverfield's not the guy. But he's how do you guy. like? How do you? Fire. Right. Uh, he needs to be fired. There's no way around it. I I'm gonna call for his head. He's done. Oh boy. Oh boy. I'm finding it harder to find reasons not last, to do that. For the last decade, there's consistently been at least a nine or 10 win team for the last decade under Fuente and Norvell. Yeah. Norvell, it's, it's a tough act to follow. But I mean, that's what I'm saying though, is for the last, the last two head coaches were great for Memphis. Yeah. Consistently competing and winning conference championships. And man, yeah. you're getting your butt kicked at Tulane's homecoming game. <laughs> I don't even have a problem with you losing to Tulane because they're obviously like a, a decent team. Very sure. No, there's no they're team. gifted, but getting shut out in the first half. No. Yeah. The that, way that first half went and the way the final sequence went no. was just clear that this is a coach who 
is in over his head as a head coach. It is, they this need is to give job. Hennigan something. They yeah. need to protect him so he can throw, and they need to give him better targets to throw to. I don't know yeah. what this how is, is that that hard. He was, he was on Norvell's staff before, and this mm-hmm. is his third year as a head coach. I've seen enough. You yeah. Know, I don't there's know. There's no it's reason why they hired him to try to keep the good times going and he wasn't able to do it. You know. And that's well, it's really hard to defend because this is a team that wants to be moving up to a power five conference. This is a team that has aspirations and he is not living up to those aspirations. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the temperature in Memphis is, is interesting right now. (laughs) Uh, Let's do give a shout out to Jaquan Jackson, the junior wide receiver from Tulane who had 119 all purpose yards, including the glorious 90 yard punt return for a touchdown that Dan so kindly texted me about. So I would know that it was happening. Um, that uh, Memphis had that set yes. up too late for another easy score. That's great. Just special just, teams. Just, just things out. like that. Yeah, that shouldn't be. And then Dorian Williams, senior linebacker for Tulane, had a team high 12 tackles with one of those sacks that we mentioned, a pass breakup, and two quarterback hurries. So shout out to those guys for making the AAC honor roll this and week. And shout out to Michael Pratt for making the year that Emily was mad at Tulane, the year that they were really good. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't care what you say about this Tulane team. I'm not saying that they don't have talented players. Tajay Spears is like incredible, right? When they, when they do the two tight end set, Tyreek James, uh, Will Wallace, those guys are incredible. When Deuce Watts gets loose, the Deuce is loose. He's incredible. You know, I'm not saying. Top to bottom, the defense is great, especially, you know. Yeah. A good experience defense. Exactly. There are, they're got, they're hungry. I love Nick Anderson, one, one of the best players in the conference, but I'm not saying that they don't have good players. What I'm saying, Michael Pratt threw for 158 yards, one touchdown, one sack. The longest he threw is 30 yards. How many receivers did he, did he utilize? Okay. Like how many is he, he's clearly, he targets certain guys each game. It doesn't allow for variations to develop. I do think he's gotten better, but do I think he's the top tier quarterback in the league? No, no. He has the potential to be because again, Maybe. Like, I think, I think you give a guy three offense corners in three seasons and you're going to stunt development. And I think Chip Long struggled as the offense coordinator last season in a yes. big way. And they did not like him. It was not a good relationship. Yes. I told you when they hired Chip Long that Chip Long clashed with certain people at Notre Dame. Yeah. Well, he definitely wore out his welcome very quickly. He he was successful at Notre Dame. But but there's a reason why they moved on from Chip Long at Notre Dame. You know, and... I mean, I feel bad for Pratt in this offense. I'm doing the story and I'm still trying to do the story about how they've had, you know, four offensive coordinators in the last five years. And it's been a lot. I understand that. And I empathize with that, but his, like his ability and his uh, level of play is only incrementally increased. And I think, like you said, his potential is higher than that, but we're not seeing a big enough jump from each year. We said that from his freshman year to his sophomore year. We're saying that now. But I, again, I think part of that is just for, again, I put so much stock in the hurricane 
that I think you put way less into oh than I God. do. And yeah. also, and also, mm-hmm. I just think when you, it's hard to take that jump in an offense or leaf look better when you have to learn it from the ground up. And I'm not, I don't think he is a, you know, who do I want to use? A, I'll use Desmond Ritter as an example. I don't think he has that level of high end talent. I don't think he's an NFL caliber player. Like say, again, like Desmond Ritter or Paxton Lynch or Blake Bortles. We've seen in the conference for three quarterbacks. I could think Blake of. Bortles, thick King retirement. Treating him right. He, he is like the, thi- when we talk about the thickness quotient, Blake Bortles is the ideal. like the, the metric. Yeah. That we Nothing use for another UCF. Great. Another thick King. Yes, lots of thick kings through UCF. We love to see that. <laughs> Anyways, whatever. Tulane wins. Homecoming, great. Let's let's see. I'm going to head out there for the UCF game, I believe, on the 12th. So let's see how they hold up until then. Let's All see if right. they hold on to this ranking or if they fall to somebody silly. Right, and that's the week that was in the AAC. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, friend. Not quite. Oh, yeah. like, uh, ECU 34, UCF 13. And that's the week that was in the AAC. <laughs> you don't have to talk about I that. need at least three minutes okay. to talk about. I can talk about it if you want. I'll, the I'll Holton, to talk about Holt Nailers. You can talk about him. Yeah. We love Holt Nailers. Holt Nailers stand on this podcast. He became the school's all time leader in touchdown passes with 87 in this game. Uh, UCF playing its first game outside of Florida this season. Not looked like it too. Looked like it. Not great. It looked, it looked like a team that hasn't had a road game yet, didn't it? <laughs> it really. It really did. Doesn't really count as a road game. <laughs> yeah, it's it. It was not tough. To, not to blame the Gus has a really bad home and away split at UCF so far. If you look, at yeah, it. that's interesting. One weird fluky loss to Louisville at home. That's it for home losses. Mm-hmm. He got five road losses. Yeah. You know, through a season and a half. That's a, it's a weird split. I mean, you know? once we knew it was blackout at Dowdy, I was like, this yeah, is you not, were, you were all this, over. Each this year. is not going to go well. Cause it's, uh, it is a hard environment to play in, especially if you haven't played away, you know, it's. It was true. Yeah. I mean, I'm also wondering, and this might be an excuse or, but was UCF overlooking ECU because they've got Cincinnati next week. There's room that game day might be coming to UCF if both Cincinnati and UCF won. Obviously, that didn't happen. No, game day is going to Jackson State. Um, but there's rumors about that. I think um, it's I think it's that road game. Who was I think I it's they're coming off the temple win, which was okay. A little like, get your head a little inflated though. Right. Like that coupled with the Cincinnati in the next week, coupled with the first away game, coupled with the blackout environment at that. I mean, it was like a perfect storm. And of just ECU, shit show for ECU, point out, ECU was incredibly motivated for this game. If you ask mm. Mike Houston for the game, he cared about beating UCF more than he cared about beating NC State this year. Yeah, and they this now is, have the advantage in the series. 11 10 the last time they're going to play for the foreseeable future because <laughs> UCF's like, moving on. And it was, you know, it was giving a team leaving for the Big 12 and now on the way out. That was a huge deal for them. Um, and I'm again, like I said, I wonder if UCF just didn't think about them that same way. Maybe. And, got caught asleep a little bit. I want to talk about the game itself a little bit. Three mm-hmm. first half turnovers for UCF equaled 17 first half points for some, or for ECU. Mm-hmm. That's not good. And the thing about all the turnovers in the first half for UCF, they were on drives. UCF moved the football well in the first half. They got yeah. across midfield and then they turned over. The first interception that John Rice Plumley threw the play before should have been a touchdown for UCF. 
it was a 50 yard pass that went through a receiver's hands. Uh, should have been a touchdown. Wasn't, it was a slight mm-hmm. overthrow, but still should have been a touchdown. Uh, the very next play, he throws it into a defender's chest. Just like, and <laughs> I think to my point though, ECU knew exactly where that ball was going because they had seen UCF run that yes. little RPO slant on tape and they knew where to camp out for it. Because Plumlee wasn't, Plumlee didn't even notice the guy there. He was just camping, uh, driving the next drive, Plumlee fumbles, you know, then the next drive, you get an interception. It was just, it was just over and over again, kind of like that where you're going. Well, the guy who was the nightmare for you, it seemed, or for UCF is this, this kid, this junior safety, Jairo Wilson. Yeah, it was him. He had even I mean, caught the first he hand. had two of the four takeaways that ECU had on the night, the interception you talked about and the fumble recovery, both in the first half. And those both led to points. He also had three tackles, but my goodness. Yeah. What, then, what a night. <laughs> and then I want to turn around and talk about UCF's defense real quick because mm-hmm. UCF is playing this very soft coverage, which they tend to play. That's kind of what they do is they play soft coverage in between the 30s okay. and then tighten up you know, once you get into the red zone. That's why UCF has one of the best red zone defenses in the country statistically. They don't let up many touchdowns. This game was kind of an exception to that rule. But they still forced a lot of field goals once they got to the red zone because that's where mm-hmm. they tighten up. But they played too soft for too long and didn't adjust because ECU knew exactly the soft spot and kind of the seams. Yeah. Eight, nine, ten yards every throw. Um, and then the defense had also for UCF had a terrible time containing the running game for ECU. Just not even really a counterplay, but just like a little kick out, just a little like hop, like one kick move. And UCF's defense was so aggressive to attack the inside run that there was no outside contain. And those are the things that ECU, I think, saw on tape for UCF that they were going to be so aggressive against a run up the middle that you can kind of just kick it out off tackle on them. And that, you know, here's where the soft spots are that ECU knew where to hit UCF early. I don't think UCF adjusted well to anything, which is kind of rare for UCF. I think that, and I do think that then all of a sudden the environment and the kind of this, like a little bit of self-doubt and like a little deflation of ego comes in and you're just like, what happened to us? I thought we had, you know, yada, yada. And yeah, I think ECU outcoached UCF. I think they outmotivated UCF. I think the home environment got to UCF. I think everything went wrong that could have in this game for UCF. It sounds like it. I got to watch some of it. I was actually with Eric Henry. At the time, we were watching it, an equally unhappy uh, camper in this game. But he did agree with me that Holt Naylor's is a better quarterback than John Rice Plumlee. I think that John Rice Plumley, when he's at the top of his game, is better, but he's not consistent at this point. Is where I'm going to land yeah. on it. Well, he was definitely not better in this game. Um, no, so. no, he threw. You know, he had a couple bad turnovers in this game. Yes, UCF. Because again, I think in the first half, if you don't turn the ball over, if you're UCF, you're at least matching mm-hmm. score for score and going to the halftime with probably a slight lead in the game. The ball to start the second half. And it's just the vibe of the game, the momentum of the game is just so completely different. But because you kept turning the ball over, it felt like you weren't doing anything right. Even though you really were, if it was a six-play drive, you had five really good plays, but you were just shooting yourself in the foot, you know? Yeah. It's a very good scripted first half by Mike Houston. Yeah. And, and not only that. was Ehlers constantly foiling the blitz and playing great, Keaton Mitchell getting in on it, 105 yards, 16 yeah. carries, reaching the 100 mark for the fourth time this year. Yeah. Um, it was, it was, it a, was good. Hey, it was an ass kicking. 
Yeah, it was. It just uh, was. There's no way around it. I still think UCF, I mean, I still know for a fact UCF can go to the AAC championship game and win it. Mm-hmm. I still they have an outside shot in a New Year's Six Bowl or at least a good bowl game. Those things are still true, but you got to be pretty perfect from here if those are things you want to do because you just lost your margin for error in the conference. Yeah, that's all yeah. there is to it, which sucks because <laughs> you still got Cincinnati and, Tol- and uh, Tulane to play. Yeah. And then, yeah. Oh, that's that's right. gonna that's all gonna great. do it for week eight. <laughs> no quarter. Yeah, that was week eight. Uh, I mean, we have to get ready for week nine. Uh, yes. Real quick on picks last week, I ended up being four and one. That one was the UCF game. <laughs> uh, you were in three and two. One of those three was the UCF game. Yep. Uh, Not too bad. I, I I picked Houston right over Navy. That's why. Or no, Navy over Houston. You picked Navy yeah. over Houston, and who's the other one that you picked? That was wrong. It was. I was in my sick haze, so I don't really know. But I really. Oh, you picked Temple. You picked Temple. Oh, did I really? Okay, I was definitely not. Yeah, you texted me Temple on Friday night, like. Oh boy. It was into the game, in all fairness, where you're like, I think I would have gone Temple, and I. Yeah, I did think I was going to go Temple, but I. I think when Brent was like zero for three with like four sacks and two interceptions, and I was like. Oh, <laughs> I was like, all oh, right, boy. I believe that you would have taken them. That's the kind of thing you would have said. Yeah, it is the kind of thing I would have done for sure. So, uh, well, so I guess, I'll get back this week. Want, I can give you a four and one and tell everyone you took Tulsa and we can just edit. This no, one. I'll take it. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyways, on the year, I'm 44 and 16. You're 34 and 26. All right. I'm still in the wind calm. Usually I'm not in the black. What? You've come off of it a little bit last year. You were huge into taking the underdog with every, mm. and I think mm-hmm. at about this point last year, you realized that you were behind on me and you're like, I need to catch up. So then you just doubled down on picking the underdogs. Yeah. I'm a big uh, proponent of chaos as was evident at I the Charlotte that. FIU game that I was at. God, I feel bad for Wolfie Lee because I really like yeah. him. I think he's a genuinely nice guy. He really I, is. I he still has a future in the sport, but I think, it's fair that Charlotte and he both needed to reset. You know, what I mean, it just I just I have to wonder if Kim and I don't if I don't go to that game, that what happened is Charlotte beats them like they were supposed to. And then the record's the record at Charlotte this year, though. If you you know what I mean, like that would have made them no, but they were supposed to win that by 14. They were favored by 14. Yeah, because FIU stinks. Right, but then FAU all of a sudden looks good. Like what? Well, maybe your Mike McIntyre's good luck charm. Maybe that's how that's what Eric said. That's what he said after the game. Mike, Mike. Don't look at his Will Healy's bad luck. Look at his Mike McIntyre's good luck. He felt terrible. That, now they're like, you got to come out to Florida next weekend. And I was like, oh no, can't do that. Yeah. Anyways, let's let's look at these games. We got one Friday night game. Okay. Yeah. Friday night game. It's ECU at BYU. Oh Opportunity to give another future Big 12 team a loss. Let's go. Let's ride. Mike Houston. BYU, I got to say, stinks this year. Yeah, they're not great. People, they got a ton of preseason hype, and I think we both downplayed them. And every time they've played a team with a pulse, they've looked. No. I said that USF was going to beat them because I didn't did. think they I were thought that, that good. I thought you were exaggerating. I, I, agreed <laughs> with BYU. No. I agreed with you. BYU is not that good, but I didn't say they were that bad. But no, like Notre Dame <laughs> pretty easily and Notre Dame hasn't beaten anyone easily this season. You know, I mean, that's like where we're at. A Liberty team that 
I know the record's good at Liberty. Look at the schedule. They've barely been beating Gardner-Webb and teams like that all year. Like, the record's good for Hugh Freeze at Liberty. If you look, dive into a little closer, they're barely beating a lot of bad teams. And yeah, they but they have a running back over there that is incredible. Day Hunter, probably one of my favorite running backs in the country. I've seen them play. I watched UMass lose to Liberty and all that. Oof. Yeah. I try not to watch Liberty games, to be honest with you. It's a whole <laughs> other thing. Um, it's going to be a tough road test for ECU, that's for sure. It's not easy to play in Provo. Yeah. If you don't know, yeah. you should know there's elevation, there's the awful, unruly fans. fans. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the fans are. It's incredible. Awful. It's incredible how bad they are. Yeah, it's bad. In terms of uh, their nature. And again, it's not every fan is like that, yada, yada. But, but BYU's also lost three straight enough games. Where they so. have a, it's also enough where they have a reputation. And yeah, anytime they play a team with a pulse, they don't look particularly good. They don't look like the team they were the past couple of years. ECU's yeah. coming up a really high high in beating UCF. It's a short week. Short week mm-hmm. for both teams, though. But you have to travel across country. These are factors. Um, if I think if focused on out of conference game deep into conference playoff, they should win pretty easily. BYU's favored by three, That's, which we know is the home game advantage. Yeah, I think an interesting note is that ECU's offensive quarter, coordinator. Uh, Kirk Patrick was part of the coaching staff in 2015 when the Pirates traveled to Provo and lost a close one, um, 45-38 to BYU. And that was actually Bronco Mendenhall's uh, last season. So there's a little bit of familiarity Mm -hmm. with the program. Um, I don't know. I I mean, obviously, I'm picking ECU, okay? That's not... I'm also on the Pirates for what's worth. All right. Well, I think the reason you see a Vegas spread like that instead of ECU being favored is because ECU has randomly disappointed. They randomly lose to Navy mm-hmm. this year. You know, they they should have beaten NC State, but they shot yeah. themselves in the foot by not making kicks. You know, there's like little things where you're still like, it's clear ECU's a huge step above where they were two years ago, even. You know, and you see the growth and development from Mike Houston there, but they're not ready to you'll compete for the conference championship, it turns out. My favorite part about this game is that Mike Houston was being asked so much about the elevation. Like literally every press question, it's like, yeah, but how are they going to deal with the elevation? And for some context, Provo is 4,551 feet above sea level. So, you know, it's considerable, especially when you've got like, you know, big guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But he literally was like, We've talked to a lot of people, a lot of, you know, coaches that have played there. I don't know what other people. You just said we talked to a lot of people. Houston said this. He said that those people, quote, said there's no noticeable effect on the players, end quote. So, yeah, if, if your guys are elevation's not real, guys, it's not real. Well, if your guys are conditioned right, it's not the end of the world. I guess. You know? Tell that to somebody walking up the stairs at Air Force Stadium in, in Colorado Springs because it's very real. I mean, I know it's real, but I guess that's what they're saying, though. Is the only mean apparently it's not real. So whatever. All right, we're on ECU. Yeah, come on now. Let's do it. I need. need Let's ride. I need the parts to go on like a winning streak for the rest of the year to make the UCF loss feel less bad. I also needed Louisville to win a bunch more games than they are. Because if Louisville ended up being like a nine and three team, I would have been like, I don't like it, but I it's fine. 
<laughs> you could you could accept it if it was exactly. If I mean, I, like I'm not an irrational UCF fan. I really try not to be. I am a fan. Yeah, but like I try not to be the person who's like, if we're not twelve and zero every year, it's a bad year. You know, <laughs> expectations. I thought a reasonable expectation this year was to compete and be in the conference championship game. And that's still on the table. <laughs> do you know we I mean? think that? Do we think that ECU, who has to go to Cincinnati after this, is kind of a perfect foil for Cincy in a way? We'll talk about that more next week. We but will, but I'm I just, I, I, yeah, I can see that. I really think that. Uh, like that's going to cause problems for them. I don't know that ECU wins it because it's well, at Cincinnati, but. And at Nippert, it's kind of like at Dowdy for. Yeah, exactly. Things. But Cincinnati's got flaws they didn't have last year. And we'll talk about that yes. more when the time comes, though. Um, but we're right. both, let's move on. We are meandering around the point here. Was Sorry. USF at Houston. Emily, convince how to take USF after that. <laughs> Houston's, fa- Houston's favored by 17 and a half in this game. I want to know. <laughs> now, uh, you know. Bohannon's done for the season. Mm, I, I saw that correctly, right? He has to have shoulder surgery. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, I believe, I mean, that was, I read that a week ago now. So who knows? My mind is jello. So we'll see if that's, see. I, that's, I, I know in my heart of hearts, that's correct. Uh, and the injuries okay. to USF have been atrocious this year. Since like 22 players off their two deep have missed time. Four or five guys are out for the season. It's pretty atrocious. I, Touched on this last week on my little solo show about how bad <laughs> the full. I wasn't there to defend USF, so you just took them out. Luckily enough, they didn't have a preview for me last week. It was just me recapping uh, the two-lane game. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they're coming off a bye, maybe a chance to get a little bit healthier where you've been really battered and bruised. Mm-hmm. But you're going on the road and catching a Houston team that's getting hot. Yeah. And I think that's... I. I don't necessarily feel the need to get into the X's and O's on this. We all know the truth. One team yeah. has better talent than the other. One team mm-hmm. has better aspirations than the other. USF will flash this talent where you go, yeah, guys, clearly you can compete with Cincinnati. Clearly you can compete with Florida. You can't win those games because I don't think that your coach, Jeff Scott, has the ability to coach in games. I think, he's, I think he's done a good job building the program in a lot of ways. I think his in-game co- coaching is game planning and scheming are very bad. Mm-hmm. I think those are the biggest problems right now, though, is that when a coach adjusts against USF, they don't have the ability to adjust back. I think they're getting out schemed by better coaches. And I don't think Dane is the be-all, end-all of great coaches in this conference. You know what I mean? There's a list of coaches I take ahead of him. You know what I mean? But I don't see where USF comes out Unless USF can jump Houston in some way and get Houston off its game and get them playing sloppy again and get them pressing again. I think the only team that defeats Houston in this game is Houston. So, like, yeah. I don't – I'm not going to give you any reasons why I think USF will win because I don't think I there are any. Yeah, I didn't know if you wanted to be the optimist for me because I've – It's, no it's not – I have always want to. I want to believe in USF. I like Jeff Scott, but I really think at this point we're getting to the territory. If he loses this game, he's one in seven. Is he Will Healy at this point? He's worse than Will Healy. Will Healy had a winning season Charlotte. I'm just Will saying, Will like, Healy is he – Will Healy Is he in danger play. of being fired on a Sunday morning this weekend? I don't think – I don't think USF is the school to fire a coach midseason. I don't think they are because they have to put the bio together and they're know. not. 
I don't think that USF has one particular booster who's going to come in and pay a seven-figure buyout for you. They're not, you know, insert Power Five school here that will do that. You know? I guess my other question is, are we going to see... My only bright spot for USF is obviously um, Brian Batty, the the special teams phenom. Yeah, but will Houston even kick to him? (laughs) on kickoffs, not on punts though, on kickoffs. Not on punts, but will they even, is they just, I mean, I just kick I, it in the end zone. I've, I've gotten on my rant about USF's defense under Jeff Scott. It's an embarrassment. Yeah. Um, and it's not because they don't have any talented guys. They've got talented guys. It's just an embarrassment, you know? Yeah. And it's frustrating. Uh, the offense is capable of scoring. I bet the offense scores 20 something points, maybe even 30 points on Houston, but Houston's going to score 40 plus. And that's just where I'm at on it. So I'm on Houston. Yeah, know. I'm also on Houston. You are. Yes. It was a tough game to preview. It's just frustrating because one team's... Yeah. I mean, Houston's going in the right direction after a bad start to the season, but USF has been in quicksand the entirety of the job. I'll be interested to see how sophomore quarterback Catravius Marsh, Marsh does with this opportunity. I mean, I don't think it's going to go well for him, but I'm also like, sometimes people step up and thrive, so we'll see. Who knows? Just, uh, just in case they've got, you know, Byron Brown, the true freshman in the wings. So. If that happens, something went really wrong. <laughs> well, the, I'm saying if someone gets injured, you know. Yeah, there you it go. went really wrong. Uh, wrong. Cincinnati at UCF. I'm what just going to let you, you – I it's even okay. right now. The line is even, which is interesting. UCF is really hard to beat at the balance house. This is uh, – Houston, Houston, Cincinnati is not who they were last season. They're just mm-hmm. not in a lot of respects, uh, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. They don't have the ability to pull away from anybody. The offense isn't good enough to do it. Uh, their defense is still good, but it's sloppy. It's liable to make a bad penalty. The talent's there, but it's just a young talent and it's raw talent. UCF has, in my opinion, the talent to match on offense, though it's obviously proven to be inconsistent, you know, Louisville and ECU were duds of games for the offense, but you know, 14 and 13 points respectively. And those, but other than that, they're averaging like 40 plus points a game. So it's weird. It's just weirdly inconsistent uh, from UCF's offense. But when it's clicking, it's clicking really well. I I think a key thing for me is the red zone offense of Cincinnati is one of the worst in the country versus UCF's red zone defense, which is one of the best. I think we're going to see Cincinnati settling for a lot of field goal attempts in this game. And against an explosive offense like UCF says, the capability of being a 40-plus point game in offense, even if they're not consistently doing it the way they should, I think that's the difference in this game. I think the difference is that Cincinnati settles for field goals on the road and UCF gets touchdowns at home. We'll have to see. I'd be very interested to see the defense get actual pressure, like literal pressure, on Cincinnati's quarterback, which they did not do on Holden Aylers. Um, he was able to avoid the blitz. He was able to, you know, get it. He went 30 for 36, which for, even for him, I think that the biggest key would be getting pressure on Ben Bryant. Um, they did not get pressure on Holden Aylers. 30 for 36 is very good. Even for like for him, that's, impressive you know uh so i mean if they can't do that again then we have a problem 
You know, I, I don't know if that's out of the norm for them to not be able to pressure the quarterback, but that was just an atrocious effort at it. So they haven't been as good this season as you'd like to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, the blitz, what they were doing against ECU was they were just trying to blitz a lot to create a little bit. Of, they were trying to create a mistake at that point. Mm-hmm. And Ehlers just knew where the blitzer was coming from and where the open spot, like he knew where the blitzers were coming from. So he knew that's mm-hmm. where to throw it to. He was just playing like a good experienced quarterback. And the ECU offensive line and running backs deserve credit for picking up the blitzes quickly um, and giving them that time to figure it out. I, you know, UCF's pass rush hasn't been great this season, but their secondary has been outside of the mm-hmm. ECU at this point. You know what I mean? <laughs> Again, I, I which just, is tough because that's the last game heading into this. So you don't want that worst performance when you're going into Cincinnati to be the one you that, just had. I know, but they have they've got legit NFL guys in the secondary, you know, at least, you know, raw talent wise, they do at UCF. I, I don't I heard know. they're breaking out. Did you hear about their jerseys, by the way? UCF jerseys? I have not yeah. seen any jerseys. They're not. called night mode jerseys. Are we talking it's probably going to be a blackout in its own right, huh? I It says, so they interviewed one of the players and it's going to be night mode jerseys. They're the first time they're where it says they'll break them out for the first time. It's different. It's like a color rush, like Madden, something like that. It's kind of cool. So, okay. I'm going to, I don't think the information is out there. This was just in an interview with a player. So uh, yeah, um, I wonder if I can find, uh, but it sounds like it's going to be cool, which got one to send to you real quick all right because- night mode sounds yeah. very intriguing and you know ucf's always going to do it big in that regard with the environment with the uniforms the flashiness of it all oh, yeah. so okay, that, i found it the uh okay. ucf twitter account back in august tweeted out what the night mode would look like okay so I'm it's got the black knight on the shoulder that's kind of cool so yeah they're all black got gold letter gold numbers gold I like ucf it. Gold on the you know helmet stripe, a couple little stars here and there. Three stars on the pant. That's clean. The stars, uh, I like that. So yeah, I do like it. So that I mean that's that's obviously going to make for. I hope that means since is wearing white and red and not black because I hate when teams wear kind of the same color as each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, that'd be frustrating. But like when uh came down for the uh for their game against UCF, uh UCF's uniforms were. Uh, those are the space game uniforms and they're black, yeah. and blue and temple for some reason wore black pants and it just clashed in a weird way. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like too much. Yeah. All of a sudden I was like, yeah, wear white or cherry paint. You guys like rock your classic colors instead of like, Oh, the cherry. Love the it. Cherry. Yeah. the cherry. It's a good look. Why do you like, it wouldn't <laughs> look good if the other team was wearing something else. It's just, you know, unimportant. Uh, so, Whatever we say about this game, it's a must win. If you're talking about championship stuff, if you're talking about being at the top of this conference. Yeah. If UCF wants to win the AAC, you have Mm -hmm. to win the game. If Cincinnati does, it would really, really help because yes, I think there's three teams, maybe four, that have a shot at the AAC championship. And these are two of them. Tulane's another one. Yeah. Maybe do you give Houston an outside shot at making a run at it? Maybe. 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 But I think that in and of itself is going to make this a a game people should tune into because I think it's going to be a blood like a a grudge match type just throw down game. That being said, I am going to go Cincy. All right, you're going to make it interesting. I'm sorry to say that. I'm sorry to say that. I'm on on UCF. 
I'm on UCF, yes. obviously. Shocker. <laughs> well, if you asked me before the season, I probably would have been on Cincy, but I've watched them play too much to be like, I just don't. Right. I don't trust. I'm not them. saying they, and they might win. I do have yeah. that feeling that UCF might win, but oh, I'm yeah. just going to stick. I also with... feel that Cincy could very easily win this game when I pick. Yes, them. exactly. I think it could go either way. So we'll have to see. But I already picked SMU to beat UCF this year. I can't do that nonsense again. Yeah, that was. Or maybe mm. start picking against UCF every weekend. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> figure it out. Uh, moving on. Speaking of SMU, SMU at Tulsa. And I want to hear your thoughts on this game. It's an interesting matchup. You got two, three, and four teams. SMU is favored by two points, which is really why just, huh? They both really need a win if they want to get full eligible. <laughs> and I honestly feel Tulsa is more likely of the two to get the win. So I'm just going to tell you right now off the bat, for my gut, I'm picking Tulsa. Okay, um, well, I'm on SMU, so we'll just... I- I just, I don't trust SMU and having seen them play in person. You trust Davis Brin, Mr. O for two with two interceptions. (laughs) That's who you trust at. at I have not seen, I've not seen Tulsa play in person. I have seen SMU play. It was not great. So I just, that's how I have to go. Both play on TV. And let me tell you what. (laughs) It's not the same. I know it's not the same. I know it's not the same. First off, I mean, the question of the game is really, is it Preston Stone or Tanner Mordecai? I have to imagine he's not coming back. I have to, well. I don't know, I, but I, I didn't know. see the hit. Was it a Was it a bad, bad hit? I didn't even realize he got hurt until he was walking to the locker room. All of a sudden I was like, oh, wait, Preston Stone's warming up. Oh, wait, Mordecai's going into the locker room holding his helmet. Like, yeah, like I just missed it, I guess. You know, it's possible, I didn't, you know, but who knows what it is exactly how bad it is. You know, it's concussions. They it's hard to tell and colleges don't give out a ton of information unless they really have to. They don't like also that. SMU cannot stop the run to save their life. And Daenerick Prince is going to have a field day. That's fair. Uh, I don't think oh. that Tulsa can stop anything. Yeah, but if it's not Tanner Mordecai, I'm not worried about it. I think Preston Stone's better. That- Maybe, but he hasn't had as much time with the offense. So no, it's obviously it's going to be there's definitely an experience gap. And Tulsa is like a disruptive team. So it, it, they're going to make it hard for him. I think just that's fair. I in just, general, I think your point about Prince is very fair because if they just run mm-hmm. the ball out, but at the same time, they've proven that this year, their DNA is to try to throw it first. Yeah, which, I know. I mean, I'm hoping they don't do that. I mean, they exactly have a great secondary either. <laughs> right. I'm not really that worried about that as much, but I really just hope they let Prince go off. That's what I hope. Well, so. They tried their hardest to not let him go off against Temple until there was kind of like, <laughs> and he, and he, lose this game if we don't. He, he did it. Just, he did. He does it despite the team. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I just think that SMU's the more talented team, top to bottom in terms of athletes. I think they are. I think they've got the ability to be explosive in a way that Tulsa struggles with this season. And I think if they can make it a shootout, which is the way SMU unfortunately needs to win every game is as a shootout because their defense really doesn't hold up. I trust them more in that setting. So that's why I'm on SMU. But Tulsa is a weird place to play in all fairness too. Like it's usually not like a super loud environment, but it's just got a weird vibe to it. It's intimate. It's a vibes check stadium. And any fans will be disruptive for SMU because nobody goes to their games. So... Baduch, you are on it on SMU fans lately. I'm upset. Yeah, well, I mean, the game I went to was TCU, the Iron Skillet, and nobody 
was there, which is ridiculous. Then you get Cincinnati, a ranked team come in, but these dummies put the game time at like 11 a.m. again. It's and that's the team. It's like, why do that? That's the ESPN. I'm forgetting it. I know. I'm saying it's their, like partially their fault because the, the people are not going to come in general. But if you make that a night game, you might get a little more of a turnout. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Dumb. You and LSU fans preaching to the choir. Preaching to the choir. <laughs> uh, let's move Last on. Last game. Temple at Navy. <laughs> Temple at Navy. That's our primetime game. Two, two, two and five teams. I... Yikes. I'm interested to see what Temple's defense, who just got gashed by the run, looks like against the triple option. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be pretty. I'm interested to see what Temple can do offensively against a Navy defense that has looked pretty bad the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. Granted that Navy defense, as we talked about, has been overmatched athlete to athlete, which they will be less so against Temple. Though, still from a raw talent perspective, Temple is the better team. Just if you're looking raw talent. Oh boy. I mean, I think Navy Navy's favored by 13 and a half, and the total is set at 40. Maybe yeah. I think I, first off. Um, but 13 and a half point favorite. I mean, I yeah. Navy because I think that things have been clicking for them in ways that you don't always see in the wins loss column. But yeah. Like, you have to watch the game and like recognize it's at it. home. They've been it's an improving team when you watch them play. Mm-hmm. Things are working better. 13 and a half seems like a wide margin. <laughs> Statistically, when you look at their stats, um, team stats side by side, they average more points per game. They have more total yards. Um, obviously not in passing, but overall. Total. Yeah. And they they only allow five yards less than Temple. Well, so Temple's <laughs> offense has been an abject failure of a unit this whole season they're often mm-hmm. again i think ej warner is the guy long term he's got potential i think he's got no one around him there's no running game there's mm-hmm. no offense line there's no wide receivers uh yeah i mean i'm on navy because i think that they're gonna yeah. run the ball and control clock and control possession and i don't see how t- when, when that type of game goes like that against navy when their offense is really working and limiting drives that means you need to score every time you touch the ball and Temple does not physically have that ability this season, I don't think. No. Yeah. I mean, I'm on Navy because it's at home. I think Navy's just, if you look right. at the... Tough place to play. Yeah, it is hard to play there. And and then you look at the the last five versus the last five. Temple's last five, you know, their last three were straight losses, including the 70, you know, point... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just beating, you know, and then you look at Navy and yeah, they have lost the last two, but they beat Tulsa. Then they did lose a close one to Air Force. They beat ECU in that double overtime. So it's a little more fluid, whereas Temple's just like, bam, bam, loss, loss, 70 points, loss. It's a little demoralizing. And I think Navy's just tougher, even though I know your Temple tough is their thing. But and I think Temple's a lot tougher than they were last year. And I think that culture is being rebuilt well. I think we're yeah. both agree with that. Yes. Yes. But, but I, I do, just think maybe lives. They're a step behind. They'll step further back. Yeah. It's going to take time. But I, I do think it's good. Everything, everything has been good. I just I, I just feel like maybe, I don't know. I, I mean, it might. By this game. 
It might be a game. I, I wouldn't say I'd say I 13 know. and a half is generous. I'd say a touchdown or a field goal. I, would be de- 13 and a half. I was, I'm surprised that yeah. they get that big a number, to be honest with you. Yeah. Just because of the way Navy's been looked at a little bit nationally. Navy's, a lot of people have turned their nose at Navy in the past couple of years just because it has been a little bit rough around the edges and everything. Well, I think also part of the mismatch, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you're looking at rushing, Temple can't run the ball, oh, right? Right, but that's Shocking. where Navy's defense struggles. They've given up 700, 717 rushing yards in addition to five touchdowns, but they're better through the air. Yeah, overall a little bit. Well, actually, no, I guess not. It's just kind of all bad, huh? <laughs> it's just kind of all bad. They they give out, well... You're looking up, I can tell you're looking up stats as you go where you're like, Oh, oh, that's also that. Oh, well, that. the way that they worded this was weird. And so okay. I was like, they, yeah, gave, they gave the total yardage of rushing, which seemed like a lot to me, but then it's only 102.4 per game. Um, oh, and they're giving up 272 yards in the air oh, in the lot. game per game, which that's is 114th in the country. Yeah. That's, a, that's But a I mean, it's not like, it's right. not like Temple's. But that's what I'm saying. Passing about, yards per game are great. So. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> That I was trying to say about uh, Houston SMU the past couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Why do you lose those games if you're Navy? Because you don't have corners who are physically capable of co- of covering or yeah. Rashid Rice or yeah. a, you know someone like that. Uh, yeah. So it's really tough Oops. to. It's just it's tough, but Temple doesn't have a player like Rice. They don't have a player. No. They don't have a oh that's a good wide receiver on the roster. They don't have a guy right. who you look at impressed with. So maybe, you know, Navy's defense can find a few more stops than they have been, I guess, is the uh, way to put it. We shall have to see. It's going to be a fun weekend. I'm excited. I think we all know since the UCF is the game of the week, but uh, yeah. (laughs) I'm excited for this ECU-BYU game. I think that's going to be good. And I'm very intrigued by the last two we talked about. I think USF Houston's the only one I just am not interested in. By, to be honest yeah with you. i agree i just on paper it's just not an interesting game maybe usf makes it interesting maybe houston makes it interesting by shooting themselves in the foot who knows <laughs> uh, we shall see absolutely do you have any other storylines topics anything else you want to get off your chest no uh Other than Will Healy and you're the i know was able to reconnect with out of house and home the, the underdog dynasty folks this last weekend in charlotte shout out eric henry Shout out Hunter Bailey, um, Kim Montoro and I were there to hang out and they were great hosts. We had a lot of fun. The game was interesting. I might be heading to Coastal Carolina at Marshall this weekend for a little fun belt if the flights allow. Yeah, so we'll see if I can make it out there. That would be a good one. Uh, yeah. Love a little sun belt coverage in here. I know. I love going to Marshall. It's one of the best environments in college football. And I love Coastal Carolina. I think Grayson McCall is awesome as a quarterback. Up to Harrisonburg for a James Madison game yet? I I have not. And I've heard that's pretty incredible. It's a little bit out of the way to get to, I think. Yeah. The Uh, best places are. So is Coastal. A lot of the great college towns are just not, they're not in the city is the problem. Yeah, exactly. They're just in a different place, but that's what makes the journey so worthwhile. So. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That's all I got. That's all you got. I don't got anything else either. So I guess we got to tell the people where to <laughs> oh, I take that back. New Mexico State at UMass. 
Oh, New Mexico State. Jerry Kill. Versus Don Brown. How's that for Jerry Kill versus Don Brown? Uh, Hey, New Mexico State just beat New Mexico for the first time in like six years or something like that at home. It was wild. Yeah, New Mexico is not particularly good right now. Agreed, but still. is down bad this year. Yeah, it is. It's ugly. I like like the Aggies, though. It's going to be interesting. I mean, I don't think it's going to go well for you, but. I, what what does <laughs> hockey? Well, I'm just kidding. Hockey can just, hockey. Oh yeah, that's true. Hockey. Hockey. the uh, Union College this past weekend, which is my brother's alma mater, so that was good for me. Beat there you go. Seven nothing. Uh, you know, I like it. No, and I'll ask you the thing. My thing with UMass is the offense is like a high school offense that they're putting out there this year, but the defense mm-hmm. is definitely notably improved. So you're kind okay. of like. Hopefully they figure it out. (laughs) Hopefully, think of the laughing stock nature of it all. I'd be okay if they were bad. They're just—they're not bad. They're all bad. Yeah, (laughs) it's tough. Uh, Stuff. Anyways, best of luck to your Minutemen. Yeah, they need it. Anyways. Where can the people find you? Yes, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at emilnem e m i l n e m. You can find me at Dan underscore Morrison 96 on Twitter. And uh, yeah, you can find Emily's writing on Underdog Dynasty mm-hmm. and my writings at On3. Yep. Follow along. Absolutely. And All right. Well, we'll see you next week.